0: hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer.
1: Cancer? Yes, in the head. Huh? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not
2: gonna take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the
1: curtain!
3: Are you telling me you built a time machine?
4: Out of a DeLorean?
0: This is the you answer
1: no. uh-oh sounds like somebody's got a case of the mundoos <laughs> hello there
4: children hey hey kids <laughs>
2: Don't worry, I got an idea.
5: And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show,
4: Matthew Zappa. Woohoo! Not
0: that there's anything wrong with him.
4: Because he has a lot of chips, <laughs> Oh All right.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 369 of the stupid cancer show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult brain cancer survivor, coming to you from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the stupid cancer show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org.
1: I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. Tonight, stupid colon cancer,
2: because it's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. When Dave Newway was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer in 2013, he and his partner Luis Freitas lived uh, lives were were turned entirely upside down. Dave and Luis join us right here live in studio to discuss leveraging all available treatment options and how life after cancer is Beyond the Cure, definitely a different thing. Survivor Spotlight on young adult breast cancer survivor and running coach Katie Anderson. going to be a great show. Here we go. Got a full house with no air conditioning. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Matthew. Noel Wimmer.
1: Hello, Matt.
2: Here. Here uh, <laughs> Mallory Rivera. Hi. President of the County, Dr. Sean Shapiro on the couch. Hello. And Jeannie Mortimer, our internet famous intern, uh, waving from the couch. With no mic. Uh, Janine posted a, a wonderful blog for us today about what it's like to be an intern here at Stupid Cancer. We got our uh, internet fame today by posting it all over the universe. And i um, very proud, considering that you came from the same stock as Kenny, who was my second intern. Yeah.
1: And look yeah, what I've happened overcome, to him. I've overcome all my deficits. <laughs>
2: exactly uh let's start with mallory because uh, we launched CancerCon 2016 registration big deal
5: we did that happened on thursday it's very exciting we have lots of people already signed up so do we have a count we have approximately 51 people signed up that wow. is one twelfth of the number of people that will be there
2: in like technically one business in, day
5: in less than a week it, yeah it's incredible
2: that's extraordinary it's exciting really a big deal and um sean uh where are we at with um uh our giving tuesday recap because we did a lot of really good things last week
1: it was amazing the show of support for the cause was in full effect on tuesday we raised just under twelve thousand dollars for the young adult cancer community so pretty amazing
2: yeah amazing shout out to everyone that helped us out uh giving tuesday apparently a big deal now Really big stuff,
1: and Cyber Monday was also yes. That equally is crazy.
2: My segue to Kenny on Cyber Monday in our retail.
1: We sold like hundred. We were doing a, uh, a ugly sweater pre order, and our ugly sweater with the help of Italia Ricci uh, sold a ton. I want to say almost a hundred of them.
2: That is pretty amazing. Yeah.
1: So we'll start to see the selfies this week because they're getting shipped.
2: Soon. That's really great. That's yep. really great. Uh, anyway, Mal. Um, as far as cancer gun goes, I wanted to talk about we. The agenda is now there.
5: Yes, And we have
2: a a whole like 40 workshops and sessions and whatnot. Do you want to tell us about a few of them?
5: Yes. So we have a lot of exciting sessions bringing back some uh, old ones from the past and some new ones like chemo brain, a session on PTSD, uh, survivor guilt, long term effects. There's also a few uh, sessions specifically focused on relationships. Um, we're bringing back Ethan's on and his fiance, which is very exciting. Fantastic. Uh, we're also having a session specifically for women in relationships. Wow. Very nice. And, uh, our friends at city at hope, someone's coming to do a session from about couples coping with cancer together.
2: That, it it gets better every year.
5: Yeah. It's, it's very exciting. We have a full 40 sessions. So wonderful things happening.
2: So my quick blurb is that I spent the weekend in Orlando, not at Disney World. I was at the annual meeting of the um, Association of uh, Hematology or the Academy of something like Hematology Oncology. It was like ASCO for blood cancer. And it's like this massive showmanship with these $100 million ex, uh, exhibit booths and whatnot. But the takeaways were really interesting. A lot of the diseases, including colon cancer, which we'll be talking about, are now the medications and the technology are now catching up to the fact that they're applicable to young adults. And typically they build medicines for the people who get it the most, but now they're building medicines based on genetics. So young adults are now a massive value, and I hate to say it that way, but we're finally matter to the big pharma universe because the drugs that they're producing work for us. So we're in a really great place optically and and actually because uh, we are the young adult universe and they need us. So A, they're paying attention to us. B, they're listening to us. And C, they're giving us money, which is what we need, which is exciting. So CancerCon is going to be full of all new friendships and partnerships from the farmer groups who are doing good, by their word, to actually help young adults fight and beat cancer, which is a big deal. So that's my quick update. All the science and all that nerdy stuff is online at hematology.org. You guys can follow them at ash underscore oncology uh, on Twitter. But uh, with that, let's kick off our, our survivor spotlight. Katie Anderson is a breast cancer survivor and avid runner who loves getting people excited about exercising. I'm exiting this conversation. Having seen and experienced the benefits of exercise post-diagnosis and treatment, she volunteers with the Ullman Cancer Fund for Young Adults and their Cancer to 5K program. She recently guest starred as an expert at OMG East here in New York City. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the one and only Katie Anderson. Hello. Hello, hello. Where are you calling in from? Oh,
4: I'm from Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia.
2: No, we. I forgive you. It's okay. Anything like west or south of Jersey is like Europe, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, I mean, your story's great. I mean, the whole idea of, like, what defines why are young adults different? Not any better or worse or special, but why are we calling ourselves young adults? You were emblematic of that. You're a mom of a 15-month-old child. That doesn't happen when you're 80 with breast cancer. So I I really think you're taking a very active role personifying our mission and by working with Almond Fund. And uh, thank you for helping us out this this fall here in New York.
4: Yeah, it was a really great conference to be a part of. I was honored to speak and be on the panel.
2: So let's talk about your story. I always like to ask our guests, what was life like six months before you knew it was going to change? And uh, what was that like for you?
4: Say that one more time, sorry.
2: What was life like for you six months before it all
4: changed? Um, I guess I was, you know, teaching third grade and um, doing lots of triathlons. I was a really avid runner and triathlete, so I was busy training and busy lesson playing and hanging out with my Then boyfriend, now husband, Um, and yeah, I guess just enjoying living in Washington D.C.
2: So your boyfriend clearly stuck with you through all of this. Can you talk about how the relationship probably went through some challenges? Of course.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Very challenging, but um, I I don't know if I would have gone through it without him. He stuck by my side the entire time. It was kind of serendipitous. We had talked about moving in together and we kind of went back and forth and we decided to move in together um, just a little bit before I was diagnosed. And, um, you know, going through that, just the sheer diagnosis that being, you know, 28 years old was hard enough. And then having a mastectomy and not being able to do anything on my own, let alone, you know, I had to have him pull up my pants. So I went to the bathroom and all these things that we kind of laughed about and it was kind of comic relief saying like, Oh, I bet you thought you wouldn't do this till I was 80 years old. Well, hi, I'm 28 and now <laughs> you can <laughs> help me shower. Isn't this great? Yeah. So, um, yeah, things got really intimate, but going through that, we realized that if we go through that, then we probably can go through pretty much anything. So.
2: How many months did you go through symptoms or whatnot before you had a proper diagnosis?
4: Um, you know, I just was went to my annual gynecology appointment and my gynecologist, thank goodness, found the lump. I wasn't doing breast exams and um, I would have found it if I had because I had very small breasts and um, it was quite obvious once she found it. And she, um, you know, was really on top of it. I've heard lots of stories where you know, doctors say, oh, you're young, don't worry about it, come back in a year, we'll see you, or come back in six months. And she said, hey, you know, I think you should go get this checked out, and I'm really thankful that um, she said that because they caught it really early, and I don't know, you know, what would have happened if they if she hadn't been so aggressive with it. So,
2: Well, we need to get that doctor on the show because we need more doctors like that who are aware that this actually happens, and you're right.
4: I and, know, and- yeah. I have had friends who, you know, not had as good, uh, you know, prognoses because of their doctors not being vigilant. So I felt really lucky.
2: So you went for immediate. Did you have a bilateral mastectomy?
4: Um, so my doctor really pushed me to have a bilateral, and um, just being told I was needed to lose one was hard enough it was um I never thought about my boobs before honestly they I was happy they were small because I was an athlete so they didn't get in my way um but when she told me I was going to lose one I you know I was like no this isn't happening we can just take it out I don't need to lose my breast and then when she pushed to have two I was adamant against it you know I said I want to have children and I want to breastfeed um, and she, you know, John, John Hopkins said the same thing. And I just, I said, I, I don't want to. So I only had, um, my left side removed and, um, I, I'm still nursing my daughter today. So I'm so happy that, um, and I'm almost five years from, from diagnosis. So I'm, I'm happy that I decided to not go that route, um, and knock on wood, I'm, I'm healthy and have been doing well since, so
2: Well, I'll be the first on record, hopefully, to say that for a woman, you've got a massive set of balls.
4: (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah, I call it my my, my power boob over here. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's pretty amazing.
2: So, I mean, I love that the maternal instinct kicked in, even though you probably weren't even remotely thinking of or like the prospect of motherhood falls by the wayside when you're given a cancer diagnosis. You know, yeah. what, was that brought to your attention that whatever treatment you might have, or or whatever chemotherapy might have been facing you, could, you know, create a st- sterility concern?
4: Yeah, you know, I it, it's it kind of being young and diagnosed, um, as I'm sure you know that it's you know you're already faced with all of these like okay now I have these life questions I have to think about that I wasn't even, you know, I, you know, I knew I wanted kids at some point, but yeah, I wasn't married, you know, I was just enjoying my life as a young, um, 20 year old. And I wasn't thinking about all these decisions that I would need to make. And, and then thinking about like, well, what does this mean if I have children, you know, and what is their risk of getting cancer? And, you know, all of these things kind of swirl through your brain and like, well, should I not have children? Like, is that, is that a poor decision? Like, what if I didn't have kids, and I I decided to go off to Moxford early to get pregnant, but it was a bad decision, like, what if that, you know, I had a reoccurrence, and, you know, what if I died? You know, all these things, like, I don't want to leave my child motherless, so all these things that kind of go through your brain that um, you feel like this isn't fair, like, most young women and um, young-to-be moms don't have to deal with those decisions, but, um, yeah, it was kind of a just a crazy experience and and one though that I I feel like I can kind of look back now and say wow like I don't define myself by that anymore by those experiences and by by cancer which is kind of a nice feeling
2: no and, and, and like I said this is such an emblematic story of taking control of something you don't have control over and a, like a decision to go against what everyone's telling you where they don't consider the quality and the meaning of your life against the cost of, like, they don't want to have the patient, you know, not show, you know, they're like, they don't want their patient to die because they didn't do what they said they were going to do. But yet you defied that. And we hear so many stories of, of people defying it. I actually turned down chemotherapy when they told me it would help me live a little better. And I said, no way you've done enough to try to kill me with this. I'm going to, and here I am 20 years later, we had a woman on the show a couple of weeks ago who like went against her doctor's orders to do like complimentary homeopathy in conjunction with her. And she's fine now. So I I'm all for this. I think the part of your story that I'm most fascinated about, which, which starts a whole other level of discussion is you are an athlete you were always mm-hmm. an athlete, and yet you still got cancer. So, you know, what does that mean to the George Burnses of the universe who smoke and drink for a 100 years and don't get anything, you know? And then here we are, these young people in, that are fit and vegan or whatever. You know, Mallory, is. what are you, vegan now, Mal?
5: I am gluten-free. Gluten-free, okay. So. I, I st- I <laughs> Me still too, I just animals. find gluten-free.
2: Yeah, so yeah. like... This is how I feel my old manhood kicking in one like these crazy kids with their food. <laughs> so you were you were in the fit prime of your life and this happened to you and now you are espousing all the values of exercise and wellness and you, you did an exceptional job on this panel at our conference here in New York, OMG East. How do you reconcile the two?
4: Um yeah. You know, when I did get diagnosed, I, I remember a lot of my friends are like, but you're the healthy one. Like, how did this happen? Like, you're really, you know, into exercise and you eat well and you don't eat, you know, don't eat meat. And you're always like, you know, watching all these, you know, different, um, you know, superfoods and making sure you're just being really healthy. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of hard to not be really angry with your body. And be like hey like I treat you really well why why (laughs) did you kind of like you know stab me in the back here um and turn on me so that was that was definitely hard and then it was hard to you know like have a mastectomy and not be able to even walk you know when I'm used to like training for marathons and you know going out for long bike rides and swimming and you know doing push-ups all these things that you need to use your chest and your core and your back and stuff for so um So that was really hard. And especially then when you do see people who clearly do not take care of themselves and, you know, they, and I'm happy that they're alive and they're well. Um, but sometimes you're like, God, like, I thought I was doing it right. Like, why does this happen? So it it just kind of like, I guess, you know, my dad was diagnosed, uh, three years before I was and, um, same thing, like super healthy guy. And we kind of were just like, well, I guess cancer doesn't discriminate. That's a good thing, I guess. Um, but, I think I kind of took that um, those feelings and wanted to find a place to give back to to cancer patients and cancer survivors, and I found the All My Cancer Fund, which is an amazing organization. And and being able to volunteer as as an exercise coach, because um, some people run, some people walk, um, was it's, it's, I found so much meaning in that to be able to say like you know your situation sucks and it, it might still really suck, but I'm going to help you get through that through um, some sort of movement and help you to find some balance um, in your life through exercise.
2: Right. So let's, let's throw a little love at the almond cancer fund online at almondfund.org. They're one of our favorite partners in the young adult cancer space and their cancer to 5k program. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that specific uh, support service?
4: Yeah, it's, really neat. it's a 12 week program and it's for any, um, it doesn't, you know, can be for young adults. It can be, sometimes we have really, um, young runners. Sometimes we have um, runners who were diagnosed maybe, you know, 15 years ago who come back. So you can be in treatment. You can be out of treatment, um, any, you know, any type of cancer, of course, and you get a 12 week free, um, exercise program. And at the end of it, you either walk or run, um, a 5K. So it's really neat, and it's more than just this. You know, you know, let's get together and work out. You know, it's I kind of call it like a support group and movement because there's so many people coming together who um, most of them don't know each other, and but they've all been in the same place, or they all are in the same place. And whether or not you talk about that every time, I think being around people who are going through what you're going through is just—it's nice to be in that space together and to just feel comforted by that and then sometimes too you know I would say oh hey like you know are you having issues with your tissue expander like what's going on um, with yours you know we could kind of talk about different things that we were going through that you knew other people in the group were going through so that was nice too to have that support Um, but yeah people you know start out some of them have never ran before and they end up running the whole 5k which is pretty cool Um, and it seems like it really boosts their confidence and Um, you know, exercise does so many amazing things for your mind and for your body. And I think that, um, they really feel that, which is great.
2: So I usually ask the question, like, what do you tell other people? Um, what would you like, what's your message to other people in your space? And it's like, don't have a double mastectomy. Like that's your hashtag.
4: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like if you you know if you're diagnosed or if you're going through um, you know a cancer um, you know issue, I would just say like try to as much as you can like try to stay positive. I know that's so cliche, but you know try to find something that can be your outlet whether it's exercise or, or something else exercise was my outlet. Um, but whether it's like going out and gardening or you know just getting some fresh air or or, you know, going to the movies, or just getting out and doing something. Because um, I feel like you can just get so sucked into that dark space. Um, and I know that, you know, it's it's important to feel and um, kind of appreciate where you are emotionally. But I think also, it's important to get out and, and to move or, or to be with friends, um, or to have some sort of outlet that you can kind of turn to when you're having a bad day. Um, even now, you know, if I, I, I was getting kind of, Thinking about all this stuff and thinking about this, um, you know, this podcast and, and talking with you all, I, I started to get emotional again because I had not really thought about my whole story and situation and, you know, I just was you know, crying the other day and talking to my husband and, you know, even if you're having this like five years from diagnosis, you know, having an outlet, ha- being able to, to talk or have support, um, it, I think it's just so important.
2: Well you're doing it right and and I should just reiterate epic props to your husband for sticking with you and being the man that's a really big he
4: is the man it's yeah. a
2: really big <laughs> deal I, we don't take caregiving lightly here it's a it's a major concern a major undertaking and our our next guests are emblematic of that as well so uh, Katie Anderson breast cancer survivor um, mom of a beautiful 15 month old congratulations on that. Uh, avid runner, um, epic stupid cancer advocate, volunteers for the Alma Cancer Fund, and uh, apparently newly gluten-free. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Stupid Cancer Show.
4: Thanks for having me.
2: All right. Take care. Good luck.
4: Thanks. bye.
2: <clears throat> All right, Kenny. And now the news.
4: Hello,
0: I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer.
2: Just the facts, ma'am.
1: Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. All right, Matt, I will see you in Tomball, Texas. And that does it. (laughs) Where, Texas? Tomball. T O M B A L L. All right, I'll take it. No one
2: should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who've been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers right now, Instapeer.org.
1: We launched a new feed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out, we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe over at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive. Check out
2: cancermademebroke.com. Yes, that's cancermademebroke.com, our national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You did not ask to get sick, and your community wants to help. Again, that's cancermademebroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today.
1: Support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new stupid cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud, wear stupid cancer, and that is your stupid cancer news. All right. They've been sitting here so patiently, these two
2: handsome gentlemen to my left here Dave Niway and uh, Luis Freitas. Uh, new York City, Dave's a New York City native and market at Pandora, like the. Not the, not, the jeweler. not Okay, okay. Like the, the social mo- the music. music. Okay, good. Yes. And Luis Freitas, who I just met recently at a conference that my brother put together, thanks to Ben, uh, from uh, South Africa, a group in Portugal, and now leads Pernod Ricard's digital experience team. They met in 2012, were married in 2014. This is a love story and a survivor story you guys got to hear. Please welcome to the show Dave Neway and Luis Freitas. Gentlemen. How was that for an intro? That was great. Yeah. <laughs> I've done this before. <laughs> um, all right. So, like, we met even probably just a month ago or so, and, and I, I was, we were just at a table randomly. We would know each other, and the issue came up, and I think I had, like, either the stupid cancer on my laptop yeah. or something. And you're like, what is that? I was like, why do you want to know that? <laughs> and it was like, well, my partner had, like, we just went down this immediate best friend rabbit hole instantly. And I guess my first question is, were you aware that there are things for people that aren't 80 in general in cancer and let alone colon cancer. And I mean, Dave, you're the patient here and you guys, what a great story. We're going to hear it all now. But to me, the aha moment is how do they not know about this? And is that kind of where you were at in this moment?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think I did. uh, I think during some of my like initial sort of like internet researches like very late at night i think i definitely i definitely came across stupidcancer.org at some point and i'm sure i gave you my email too so i'm sure i get emails from you somewhere but, probably um, <laughs> but then i think after a certain point i kind of regret it i i, I didn't really want a lot of like in, like incoming communication like reminding me about cancer, or the of, world course, cancer of, course, or of course i'm just like, gonna back away from that but like yeah i think it's i think you guys are like really accessible easy to find just some very
3: simple internet searching Got yeah. Some good SEO happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's all this guy, the redhead here, is
3: in <laughs>
2: nice charge job. of everything. Nice. Yeah.
3: Now, I remember, in, in, at least in the beginning, when we tried to do some research and try try to understand what were the statistics, what, what was out there. And I think sometime, like a month in, we forbid ourselves to go online and look for, yep. the, for the statistics yeah. because Fair. we realized uh-huh. this is not going to help us in any shape or form because the statistics were highly skewed, specifically for stage four colon cancer. Mm-hmm. So um uh, At a certain point, we told each other, okay, we're just going to listen to the doctor. We're not going to look online, and that's it.
2: Well, that's perfect then. So we we have to not, I mean, the elephant in the room is how the hell does someone not 80 get colon cancer? Like that's the big, you know, we've seen this huge uptick, and I was mentioning this briefly to you, where blood cancer and breast cancer are the biggest young adult cancers if you look at incidents, but colon cancer has gone from like fifth to fourth. In the last five years, next to thyroid cancer. So it's, and actually, it's even moving. So it's not like we're getting it detected earlier, which gives you the illusion. Like, more people get cancer over 60 because they're getting screened. It's not incidents. Like, so, but in our space, it's legitimately more people getting the actual disease. What was, you heard my question to the first guest, like, what was life like for you together as this was yet to be? a thing that you like before you're diagnosed, you're just being normal and living your life, right?
0: Yeah, I think it was sort of like very sort of typical, very blissful, sort of, you know, sort of new love. We had just started dating, um, well, I guess nine months before I was diagnosed. So I guess six months before I was diagnosed, um, it was still kind of in the incipient stages of our relationship and it was, you know, typified by a lot of, revelry and uh daytime drinking and (laughs) smoking we were both we were both smoking cigs at the time we were having a good time it was i think you know sort of for me very much a continuation of like my my earlier days and you know just really enjoying spending time together and still kind of obviously getting to know each other um but um anything to add leave anything (laughs) how did you
2: meet how did you meet
0: uh, we met on OKCupid and then decided to. Um, I, know that's, I know that's like so many years ago. But um, yeah, friendster,
2: friends We had a friendster. We met on MySpace,
0: <laughs> and, uh, and chat room. No, we and were then, the uh, two people on MySpace. Yes, <laughs> um, but yeah, we decided to um, eventually, you know, eventually meet up in in person and obviously hit it off.
2: Well, that's that's really wonderful. So you're you're from Yale, went to Yale. I'm you from, I'm being, from you're Yale. from Yale. You went to Yale. <laughs> uh, I'm a state school guy. I look at Ivy Leagues and like, So you went to the, the double dipped Ivy League, Yale and Columbia. I couldn't um, get enough. <laughs> I was going to. What was your degree in?
0: So undergrad, it was in uh, political science and music. And then for business school, I was uh, you know, mainly focused in marketing management.
2: So we have something intentionally in common that's very rare. We've both been playing piano for 31 years.
3: Whoa. Yeah. It's weird.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to have to have a dueling piano off. All right.
3: I'm the, I'm the trophy wife
2: with Belgian beer as our as our prize. How's that?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah. let let's talk about um, so okay. let's talk about your diagnosis. and Then we'll talk about where your relationship, you know, everything just blows out of the water. Sure. So what were your early symptoms? And I mean, most young adults are stage four because we're probably gonna hear why. Y-
0: yeah, I mean, I didn't have any symptoms. I guess that's kind of like the scary part. Is that uh, like the only signal I like? really tangibly felt for my body was like a kind of a dull stomach ache uh, and kind of like the left part of my stomach. Maybe. Which could have been that steak you ate the night before. It could have been, I, I just had like a cabbage salad. <laughs> it, just, it could, have, it, could have, it literally could literally. have been anything. Yeah. So I didn't really think that much of it, um, but it just, it persisted for like two or three days and finally to the point where I was like, oh, maybe I should just go to the doctor. And Luis and also my, my mother were very supportive of that idea and, you know, sort of urged me to go.
2: And was it, right then and there the dismiss it did you come back
0: not exactly so i i um i couldn't get in to see my my primary care uh, provider so i went to city md um i love that place yeah i know i should i should be like a paid spokesperson, <laughs> but, um, yeah i went there um and uh, I guess the doctor did some like palpating and asked, asked me some questions, and then he recommended that I go get a CAT scan because he, he, I think his his thinking, at least like what he expressed to me, was that he thought it could be diverticulitis. Yeah, also but, colitis,
2: diverticulitis, right. Crohn's. These are the things that we typically get right. with these symptoms.
0: And then just given that I had like no family history of cancer, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't think that was really even a question. Uh, so I went and got the CAT scan, which sucked. That was not fun, obviously. And then um, yeah, they called me back the next day and. I guess both Luis and I had kind of like a weird feeling about it. So we both went. And... Yeah. They're
2: not supposed to call you to come back the next day. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. That was, you know, that was definitely not, I wasn't aware of like what I was getting myself into by agreeing to that. But, uh, yeah. So I went back the next day and then they, they, uh, they went over the, the scan and told me that, you know, there was a singular mass and lesions on my liver. And then they asked if I, there was anyone there with me. So I was like, yeah, actually my, my boyfriend's in the waiting room. So I, had to call Luis back and kind of where we got the news. But I think we were both kind of in a a state of like disbelief, of course. And even after that, we went to go kind of like vet the diagnosis because it was so such an outlier. And, um, you know, the initial doctors that I saw both actually didn't really believe the diagnosis. They thought that it was a mistake. Yeah. So we had some, um,
2: did you get like second opinions, or what did you start? You you said you pledged no internet, or was that no? You, you didn't. That was no. That was pre, pre, no, internet. pre <laughs> no internet.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think eventually I, I realized I needed just to have a colonoscopy because you know, I had I hadn't had one, but I was only thirty three at the time. So that's, and we don't get them right. Yeah. So what generally like thirty three year olds aren't getting colonoscopies. No. So particularly when there's no history of colon cancer in the family, of course. Even of course. then, like thirty three would be too young, most likely. So. Um, Yeah, after that, I went and had the colonoscopy where the the doctor was fairly confident that that what he saw was malignant and needed to come out.
2: So how soon between then and surgery?
0: I think it was like four
3: days. (laughs) So
2: everything kind of really changed in about a week.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, it was four days. Yeah, exactly.
2: That's incredible. Well, A, it's incredible that it was... So the conversion was so quick, even though, because, again, like, you would normally go, oh, it's an ulcer. Come back in six months right, if right, it's a right. problem.
0: Yeah, I happen I mean, what if I hadn't had such a, like, a great diagnostician that day? I mean, that's. Or uh, if City I, I MD was, didn't exist. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> CityMD. It was really, it was yeah. yeah, I mean, like, thank God for that guy. His name is Dr. Khan. I think he's actually still there on West 57th Khan! Street. Khan! Yeah, he was, <laughs> the guy knew his stuff.
2: So. That's good. That's really good. So, where were you? Uh, where were you treated? Who was your primary doctor? In uh...
0: yeah, we went. We decided to go for broke, and literally, we went to we went for the gold standard at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I basically had sort of like the like the trifecta of surgeons. I had um, Jose Guillem as my uh, colon surgeon, who is like I think he's in like the top one percent of colon surgeons in the United States. He's mm-hmm. just incredible. Um, Neil Siegel, who's actually a South African, so it's kind of a nice, uh, like, sort of innate connection there. He's sure. actually my oncologist, but he's also a PhD, so definitely educated and knows what he's doing. And uh, then had Peter Kingham, um, who's also a fellow Yale grad, so I felt like there was some good, sort of, There's
2: some like, uh, yeah, some serendipity it happening was, in that. Mix. It was
0: it was very Bashert, um, <laughs> and he was my liver surgeon. So like, the Bashert
2: fish- for the Goyim out there means meant to be. End of wicked Julia.
0: <laughs> Look it up. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, the three of them worked really well together as a team uh, to to sort of combat, you know, what I was up against.
2: Wow. So let's talk. We you know we face. You heard again. You heard the first guest. Um, insurance, navigation, peer support, um, uh, financial issues. Like these are things that are hard enough when you're well and not eighty. Mm-hmm. Were you given like a clinical care coordinator or a navigator that told you this is what's going to happen? Or was it really like a minefield of what's going on?
0: I'd say it was kind of the latter. I, uh, you know, I was lucky in that I was employed at the time and still am. Uh, So I had really good insurance. Uh, So I... You know, I was covered in that sense. So like the you know, I only paid a fraction of what like the actual treatments and everything. Is this at Pandora? No, this was actually I was working under the employee of another company. Okay, okay. I don't know if I can say that company on, on air.
2: If they're not a sponsor, it's perfectly fine. Okay. And they're probably not. No, you don't leave her. Uh, um, not a sponsor. Great great company.
0: Okay. But the, um
2: there's
3: the opportunity.
0: Right? Yeah. Let's <laughs> tweet at Unilever now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but it, seriously it was it's a good company they take care of their employees. I mean and they show that by getting them good health care, which Pandora also has, but um yeah, at the time I was working for Unilever and uh yeah, I didn't really – I wasn't really given, like, a roadmap of, like, how to navigate. I felt like I really needed, like, an intern or some sort of, like, yeah. assistant mm-hmm. to sort of help me with, like, just, like, the sheer amount of paperwork, which is hard to do, like, when you're when you're sick, as you yep.
3: said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but 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 at the same time, his mom, like, tiger mom instinct kicked in. Tiger mom instinct kicked, kicked uh-huh, in. Yeah, okay. And tiger mom jumped.
2: Jewish tiger mom. Yes, even better.
3: So she mm. just – navigated everything she was the one who started calling sloan because it's difficult to get into sloan yeah so especially in a four-day block mm-hmm. she was the one who moved the universe just to get this solved and to know what are the next steps and to do everything she was amazing
2: so let's i want to pivot to to luis because hey you were there when it happened you were how how long were you in a relationship nine months in
0: nine months before i was di- until i was diagnosed yeah
2: I mean that's that's just enough time to like either choose to stick with it or I'm out of here, yep. so where were you in your mind? Can you share with us how that all went down for you?
3: Yeah, well, you know the the funny thing is and i and I say this from the bottom of my heart is that um when it was diagnosed, the first priority in my mind is we gotta get it fixed. Nothing else kicked in um the only thing was, okay, what do we do next? How do we fix this? What do we need to to get done so it's funny because in my mind it never, it never it never went through my mind the idea of uh, leaving leaving it, it it never it never did,
2: and that, that again that that is an equal balance to some of the horror stories we hear where partners just say goodbye, yeah. marriages just end, engagements stop, because people can't deal with it. So again, like our first guest, the husband she wasn't wasn't even just dating right, and then boom, you know he stuck with and they got married, and you guys have the similar story.
0: I mean I know relationships that have ended because like someone gets like syphilis I mean, or, or, or 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 the flu or something yeah, that's like, yeah. easily, you know, correctable with like some antibiotics. So, right. um, maybe syphilis I can understand. But like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't I could never sort of um sort of like overstate how you know that made me feel that Louise stuck around.
2: Right. So, what was it like for you? I mean, what was your role as caregiver now in supporting this, you know, I mean, you didn't ask for it. It's it's one of the, did you, I mean, we, we do a lot of workshops. I was mentioning to you, like a third of our community are caregivers, in their twenties and thirties to partners and spouses and siblings and best friends. And it's a role you're just not culturally prepared for, you know, in, at this level of down the rabbit hole, you know, we talk about uh, the guilt that, why isn't it me And we talk about the isolation and how to do you even, are you even mindful of taking care of yourself to be there to take
3: care of somebody else? Yeah. You know, the funny, the funny thing is, and when I, when I speak to people about having been a caregiver, I, what I try to say is that above and above anything, it's, it's more of an, almost an energy game, Mm -hmm. which is how do you keep positive how do you keep the other person positive how do you ensure that um that you don't let the whole situation crumble emotionally because you're not a doctor you can't do anything when it comes to the medical part all you can do is guarantee that the person has a, a home and a safe harbor to come to mentally and and i personally think as a caregiver the number one trick that i can tell anyone is don't make it about yourself which is one of the things that i've seen sometimes when people you see people in who have cancer and the people around them and sometimes you hear listen to the people around them and it sounds like they have cancer Mm -hmm. and that makes me really mad because it's not about you it's about the other person
2: well i mean and people are on both sides of this too like cancer is a disease of the family but that can be interpreted in multiple ways we're equally sharing our burden to support this person or you know what i'm over here and i'm yeah so I get it it it's really valuable and again like i I think it's just there's a nobility to being forced into this situation you didn't ask to be put in and make the choice that you're just you're in it, and that's it yeah, so you had chemotherapy, the whole blown everything yeah there.
0: yeah i um yeah, I had chemotherapy for i think my whole treatment like regimen lasted about ten months, wow. The chemo wasn't um like contiguous though, so it was like it was sort of interrupted by surgeries at various points throughout that ten month period mm-hmm. so like i mean the first the, the first thing started with a bang we started with like a big old surgery, and then once I was like just out of like the woods on that surgery, then chemo started up was uh, it
2: inpatient infusion or outpatient oral
0: so it was out it was outpatient but not oral actually so really um yeah, so I I go into the hospital for, like, two and a half hours of, like, an infusion, like, every other week, once a week, which mm-hmm. I realize is not that much time, actually. I mean, it, you spend much more time waiting, yeah. obviously, for the medication. But in terms of, like, the actual infusion, like, I really couldn't complain about the amount of time that took. Uh, and then I'd also have to wear chemotherapy home, like, a, in a fashionable fanny pack that would be, like, infused um, through, like, my metaport for 48 hours, during which I could not shower. At least that's what I thought. Oh really? For the entire duration of my treatment, until I livered after, there's like a shower garment you can wear. So ah. you, Anyone out there that has that thing, you can shower. You just <laughs> you, have to, you have to ask for the garment. Ask for. It. I didn't ask, and I just smelled bad for ten months. But, um, wow. but um, yeah. So that was like that was kind of like the the rigmarole of the treatment. And then I had uh, two more surgeries um, during that period. Um,
2: right. So stage four means metastatic. It was in your liver. Correct. Anywhere
0: yeah. else? No. And that was kind of like the key to my particular treatment. Thank God. Is that, uh, you know, even though it was a really crappy situation, obviously no one wants to have their cancer, like get up and move to like another organ. But, um, yeah, in my case, it picked the right one to an extent because the liver is regenerative. It's one of like, the two organs that have, have that property right. in the body, other being skin. Um, and uh, yeah, and just for, for liver-only spread, Sloan Kettering developed this very specific type of pump that they use to give like very, very targeted treatment through your hepatic artery into your liver. And basically, like, flood your liver with poison slash chemotherapy, mm-hmm. which turns out to be a very effective, like, supplementary device that is not available in most hospitals. At well, long.
2: again, like, you chose to go to the royal crown of, right. of
0: centers. I was like, I want what the celebrities are getting. Like, yeah. I But if, like, God forbid something happened to the Kardashians, they would go to Sloan, too. Yeah. And that's, wh- that's where I want That's be.
2: our baseline. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Chloe yes. chemo. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So I'm reading here that you had uh, very luckily had mild uh, side effects from chemo. But did you lose your hair? No. Um that's incredible.
0: And actually yeah, I mean I was really kind of surprised by that. Um and I was I was really prepared to like to lose a lot of weight and to sort of really like physically exhibit like, you know, chemotherapy and like in the way that you see it in like TV and movies, which is not always accurate. Um, oh god, I
2: hate the way the media portrays cancer. I know, like, just
0: a lot of like flowing like sort of
2: like, It's all like, Deborah Winger in right. terms of endearment, you know. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs>
0: But, uh, yeah, kind of like I, ha- I had a lot of opposite side effects from what I thought. I ended up gaining weight, and uh, definitely I didn't lose my hair. Um, but
2: yeah. that brings up a, a wonderful, and I, I want Luis to chime in because we, we're hearing, again, colorectal is the number, I think the number two cancer in men, prostate being the first, but that's usually very old. So there's been a lot of efforts. I mean, Katie Kirk got involved years ago right. when, when her husband Jay passed away. Um, so I'm not surprised that the protocols you got are as fabulous by comparison to what we are considering to be the Holocaust of cancer therapy. Um, but it also brings with it a stigma that you don't look sick. Did you, either of you, go through? But he looks fine. You know, Luis, what's wrong with? Is he, get over it. Did, have you? Did you go through that at all with friends or
3: coworkers? Yeah, I wouldn't say he got through it with. I mean, friends of no, okay, in, in no shape or form. But yeah, I would say that in several situations where he would tell either he would tell he had cancer, or um, I think one one time was it in the subway? Yeah, the, the, I think one time in the subway he had just had. I think it was a second surgery, like a month before or something like that. And um, he sat in one of those places that are for people who have some sort of disability or right, need right. to sit. And I think somebody actually criticized oh yeah it was was
0: the long island railroad so i mean of course anything happens there let's not i mean let's not kid ourselves i mean (laughs) like like, that's not like a place of of positivity so it's um, the
2: walmart of public transportation (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i mean that's it's a it's a big check minus for long island Um,
3: (laughs) yeah but i remember you sat there and the person was complaining and he said i had cancer the person literally looked at at him and said no (laughs) yeah so so that's it
0: Yeah. But, but yeah, to your point, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like look, quote unquote, look sick. So I think that was confusing. I mean, particularly there were occasions and I was like, I was very self-sufficient during my chemo. I mean, I, I think during, during treatment, I mean, in terms of like the, the caretaking, I mean, I still cooked like all of our meals for the, for the two of us. And took care of our dog. So he's
2: the chef of the family.
3: Yeah. Uh, I, I like to say that I kept him busy. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. No, but I mean, but that was, I, I, I really, I really insisted on that. Cause I, you know, I, I still wanted to, I was able to do those things. I, yeah. mean, I still wanted to be able to, you know, have that normalcy. So, but yeah, there were definitely times when I'd be leaving an infusion or something. And you know, the people on the subway, you know, There'd be, there'd be plenty of space, but people wouldn't necessarily look at me and be like, oh, I should really give that guy a seat. Like, you just had yeah. chemo. They would have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was like, physically feeling, like, such crap.
2: I mean, it, um, it's it, it's an interesting sort of cultural tipping point in perception of disease, especially cancer, when everything's bald and dying, kids. We worked with a, a show on, on um, ABC Family called Chasing Life for the last three years. Mm-hmm. And the lead actor, um, her name is Atalia Ricci, she played a young adult facing cancer. And she did a really good job portraying it as like legit, like legit millennial in the real world. We were an advisor to the screenwriters and the it, even our stuff was on set uh, in actual episodes. But I remember going back to the stigma when we first launched the social media campaign for people to watch this, they're like, she's not bald. It's episode two. <laughs> Get <laughs> over yourself. Minute, right? Yeah. And then, <clears throat> and then towards the, um, and when she was starting to lose her hair, the people were like, why is she losing her hair? People don't always have to lose their hair. I, <laughs> so you can't win, right. but it's a good problem to have. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I like that you're mentioning here that you, you sought sort of um, I, I hate to call it alternative. It's not really alternative anymore. Like, yeah, like, like just complementary, holistic yeah. mind-body. That stuff matters so much. And everyone's like, well, there's no science, but it works. So would you want to tell us how you both... Was is that your like your your dogma? Even before this, you were into that. Uh,
0: no, I feel like I've become like super new agey. <laughs> um, crystals, yeah, crystals. Okay. gargoyles. No, I, yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, I just realized I think pretty early on, and so did Luis That at least I mean for a lot of people, and specifically for me, I you know tend to like run a bit anxious, um, and like think through things a lot, maybe even overthink them. Um, like cancer is such a mind game, I think. And I realized that like, while Western medicine obviously is going to, you know, help, you know, the majority of like my malady, I think like there has to be some other influence in there. And that's kind of when I turned to you know, sort of other treatments and sort of supplementary, um, can you give
2: us some examples?
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, one was, was getting on like a pretty steady acupuncture regimen. Um, you know, obviously it's been around. It's a practice that's been around for thousands of years. Yeah, it
2: must be something right about it. Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> and I still, you know, I think, you know, in retrospect, now that I'm like in remission and everything went well, like, you know, I I can't really quantify like which part of my treatment accounted for how much of my success. But, right. Um, I I kind of don't care. I think. Oh uh, no, um, yeah. I think maybe maybe the acupuncture did even more than I think it did, but it just made my it put my brain at ease. I think, mm-hmm. and I think there's something about like the physical nature of like kind of being like pricked with needles and like, like sort of letting toxins out. That's kind of what like the visualization is that I used to accompany it. That feels really good. I think on the brain. Um, I also got out a bunch of like herbal supplements from the same practice. Okay. Um,
2: was that here in the city as well?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was a practice called inner source health, um, which was great. They we like, can give them props. That's fine. Yeah. yeah inner Source Health. Yeah. My acupuncturist Cynthia is the bomb. She's, uh, she's great. Um, and yeah, they took really good care of me. um, and then, like, what else? I'm trying to think what else I did. I mean, obviously, like, I think getting a therapist is a good idea. Wait, you were you working the happen.
2: whole time, too? Did you have to take any time off, or it worked?
0: Yeah, I basically worked through it, um, which, um, That's great. except through, you know, except when I was, like, p- you know, immediately post-surgical. Of course. After those larger surgeries, like, on my liver and stuff, and where they're, like, really cutting you open, like, I needed, like, a good five to six weeks just to just be able to, like, get up and moving again. <clears throat> and the so- HR
2: people were fine with that, and they bent over backwards, literally, to make it comfortable for you guys to get through this and time off and yes. medical leave and whatever.
0: Yes. But I think, um, you know, I, I wasn't planning on having, you know, so many surgeries within such a short time period. So, you know, eventually my like short term disability ran out. Um, and you know, wasn't, wasn't covering my salary at a hundred percent or or close to it. And that's just, you know, that differs by state and I think by company. So that, that's, that's tricky. Um, and I had to lean on my parents actually to help, support me because I didn't have the money. I wouldn't have had the money to pay my rent.
2: We just found out that there's like a mic drop serendipity moment. I'll let Kenny.
1: Oh, we had your acupuncturist on the show about a year ago. That's, oh, a, wow. that's awesome. Yeah. She's awesome. Her
0: husband is a cancer survivor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Jo- he um, is. Yeah.
0: John. Which is why I think I felt like, it, you know, immediately in good hands with her.
5: She also was uh, one of our wellness panel with Katie.
0: That's
2: right. Oh.
5: All of the serendipity it's happening. Yes.
0: Today. yes. There you go. The karmic universe is come, talking. It all comes back to the Chinese.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I, uh, I I do want to say I, I, I overuse mic drop to mention the uh, the serendipity, but I believe the mic drop of your story is how Louise proposed to you the day it was confirmed that it was cancer.
0: I know it's stolen my thunder. <laughs> do you want to explain how you did that, Louise? Yeah, I mean we
2: have to know that story.
3: Yeah, so we went for we went for the colonoscopy that day uh, in the morning. Um, which, by the way, I, I do have to say, from my company's side, Preneurocard was amazing. From the second they knew this was happening, I wasn't the person going necessarily through it, but as the next akin, my company gave me immediately all the time off that I needed, so I could go with him to every single <clears throat> surgery um, appointment, etc. So he had the colonoscopy and. We Got the news, and it was like the final confirmation that we were waiting on, um, confirming that he had the, the colon cancer. And so, after that, we went to a, a, a diner with his mom called the Cosmic Diner. Where is that? It's
0: on, it's on 8th and um, 52nd, I think. It okay. Used to be on Broadway, like back, back in like the 90s and early okay. it moved. All right, same menu. Yeah,
3: and, I, <laughs> and I have no idea why we ended up in the Cosmic Diner, but we, I mean, we just sure. ended up there and we were ordering food, like it was. Eleven o'clock, something like that. Eleven, twelve, and his mom went to the bathroom, and we were talking. And I, t- I just turned to him and I said, "Marry me." And he, he, he said, "You serious?" I said, "Yeah, marry me." His mom then arrives, and I said, "I'm we're getting married." <laughs> <laughs> she must have been quelling. No, I, th- I, th- I don't think
0: she, I don't think she like really processed it.
3: <laughs> way. No, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think she was so overtaken with everything that was going on. That yeah, was like, yeah, okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah, cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but what i what I told him at the time, and I, I spoke it from the bottom of my heart is that um i I wanted him to believe as much as I did that he was going to get through it, mm-hmm. and I told him I wouldn't marry a dead man there So you go. just marry me, just do it
0: but I ended up like i i I held Luis to that, and I basically said <laughs> that, you know, that i wouldn't I didn't want to walk down the aisle with him until I definitely had the cancer like out of my body so so that gave me a little bit of time to prepare for our massive wedding in City Hall. Um,
2: which was right after Domo was killed. Right. Yeah. So you were again a secondary social emblematic change of yeah. What a great way to yeah. Seal that.
3: Yeah, we did, we did two things. It's one, okay, let's get married when when you get this treated, then that's fine. I for me it was the gesture and at the time we bought these Ten dollar rings from a street fair. <laughs> in next Hell's next to the funnel cake. Were they ring
2: pops? They were ring pops. They might they? as well they, have they they
3: been. No, a, no, we had to take them off when showering because they—that's how rusty they would. Oh panting. God, that's how All bad right. they were. But uh, you know what? We wore them until last week. Really? Um, yeah, we wore them for three years. Um, I love those rings. They, they just mean so much to me. Uh, but then we decided, okay, we need. It. It's funny because we bought more expensive rings to save the cheap rings because <laughs> the expensive rings can be under the shower, and I don't care if this one. I mean, I love this ring, but I don't care if this one breaks. I right. just wanted the good one to protect the crappy ones mm-hmm. because I love those rings.
2: It's a really great story. So you are in remission. Are yeah. you still getting, I assume you're still getting followed and scans and
0: stuff? Yeah, my scans just switched um, from quarterly to semi-annually. So so that's a good good progression. So my next scan's not going to be until, um, I guess, six months from the previous one. So the previous one was in October. Um, but I do have to go to Sloan Kettering. Like here's like the one catch about like their amazing technology. Well, it's not a catch, but it's just part of the agreement. Like when you have this liver pump installed, um, even when it's not pumping chemo into your liver, they have to keep it like functional and like filled with some sort of fluid or else it would just, you know, become sort of a vestigial piece of equipment and they'd have to remove it. And once this piece of equipment gets removed, it can't be re, um, oh, surgically okay. implanted. it's like, a, it's a one-time deal. It's one so- night, one night only. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so as as a result of that, like um, I have to go every six weeks and have the pump filled with like with a glycerol solution, which sounds very complicated, but basically just looks like I'm getting a shot in my abdomen. Mm-hmm. It's actually going into the pump.
2: So yeah. how long does that stay in you?
0: Uh, they recommend it stay in for like five years. Um, wow. Okay. But yeah. It, they, they went- do you feel it, or is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's probably about the size of like a hockey puck. But, oh wow. Okay. But and it's, it's 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 like always funny at the airport too because like it kind of looks like a bomb in my body and I whenever I'm going through,
2: do you have a card or something. I that, do. I yeah. have
0: like a my trusty ID card um, that just shows like what like the sort of like vague object is. Have you ever seen the movie body. Frank?
1: No. Oh, okay. Reference that... can be lost in you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Never mind. Nice try. I hope
0: I hope he doesn't have cancer, but um, <laughs> yeah. But in any event, yeah. So like that's that's part of my maintenance and treatment. That it's not it's not painful, and like in fact, like nothing's happening. It's not. But it's any... a good
2: problem to have in the sense it's minor inconvenience, and it's... right? So I want to just wrap up because uh, you had put in there that you know life doesn't end with cure, and my whole big angry stank soapbox thing these days is that no one understands that except people who've gone through it. And is it even feasible to impart that wisdom to the general people that cancer never really ends when they say go home?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think um, at least like in, in my case, I feel like my my experience is a little bit tied to like having this piece of like equipment in my body. And like right. when, when that comes out, then I will kind of feel like there's a bit of like a, sort right. of an endpoint. But but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's at, it's at once kind of like comforting and a little bit frustrating that like, you're always kind of a cancer patient. Like, I mean, I think you can see it that way. Some people don't, but um, you know, having been through the experience, I feel like that never really leaves you, but it just gets a lot further away. And like your rear view mirror and just like, you know, it's not something that, like, I think you really should like forget that happened because it's you know it's very formative and you know surviving it is something that's very important. But um,
3: I, I, I also feel there's a bit of a illuminating feeling to it mm-hmm. because I, I truly think, in, after living with this whole situation, that you're just reminded of immortality that was always there. Yeah. And I just feel that um, you can see it as something very negative, which is the pressure and the anxiety that it causes in you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's there, and let's not deny it. But at the same time, you can all you can always go back to it as a reminder that um, it, it can affect any one of us. Yep. And it, it's just a matter of... Um, Learning to deal with it on a day-to-day basis and focusing on the positive aspects. I I, I like the previous your previous guest when she said um, uh, focus on being positive. It sounds like a cliche, yeah. But I cannot actually reaffirm that enough. Mm-hmm. When when you have a doctor in front of you saying there's a twenty percent chance that you'll be able to cure this, which was what they've heard from his liver the first time that he that he they got it checked. Mm-hmm. You either focus on the eighty percent or you focus on the twenty. Yeah, and that can make an unbelievable difference down the line.
2: What a great story! It's a Thanks. really great story. What is that movie, Frank? That you were trying to be relevant oh, about? Oh, it's um,
1: <laughs> it's uh, gosh, no, I'm not. A, it's Michael Fassbender, and he wears a papier-mâché head his whole life, uh, painted. And he, whenever he goes through security, he says, "I have certificate." <laughs> that's, so that's
0: that's a waste of a face. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough.
2: I mean, uh, just to talk, uh, to expound on, on that, a lot of people who go through this, they really do want to put it behind them, and that's perfectly fine. We're not like, you must be, blah, blah, you know. It's it's how you choose to make it part of – what are you showing me? Getting them? a frank visual. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's really how you, – we, we, you know, again, like it sounds hokey. It's how you choose to get busy living, and if this is the life you want to live, then that's fine, and we see – a strong percentage of people that are willing to share their story and be there for the next them and be that, you know, I mean, the LGBT community in our universe doesn't realize that it has people like you to know exist. And we just did a workshop at our conference this spring with it. And we had like 40 or 50 people that hmm. came. And it was their first time, not just the niche market of young adults with cancer, but the niche market of young adult couples that are LGBT with yeah, cancer. Yeah, that's pretty niche. But like yeah. it's super niche market. Yeah. But we are becoming that community and and how you choose to be involved or get involved or support what we're doing is is very meaningful. And that there are so many other services out there that are doing great work just for our generation and the next generation, too. Um, It was serendipitous that my brother brought us together at PivotCon this year and that we met and I'm I'm really humbled to have you guys here in person. It's such a great story. Thanks. Thanks thank for you. having it's us. Modern Family. Great story. Yeah, totally. Super <laughs> stuff. So Dave uh, Niway, I said that right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, Louis Freitas, um, amazing, adorable couple. Lung <laughs> cancer, right? Survivor. So um, your dog is named what? Zelda. Zelda. Is, I, we're '80s guys, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> Out <Video game. laughs> yes. of the video game. <clears throat> well, I can't thank you for enough for. Uh, for being here with us tonight and and you're 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 stuck with us now for the with the family (laughs) good all right thank you family to all right thanks all right kenny and now it is time for our closing sequence
5: Prepare to activate Uh,
4: i hear there's rumors on the uh internets you ever seen a grown man naked and so to all of you a fond farewell Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead.
2: Oh, Magoo,
4: you've done it again.
2: That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
1: Okay, folks, that's our show. The 369th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank my
2: guests, Katie Anderson, Dave Neeway, and Louis Fritas for joining us here on this episode broadcasting since 2007. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity, comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org coming to you from the chemo deck and on behalf of my team here at the stupid cancer show we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer thanks for listening and we'll see you back here on the next exciting podcast of the stupid cancer show have a great week folks goodbye